Side Hustle Show 188. Matt's passive income business started for just 36 bucks. This is Vending Machines as a Side Hustle. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. Awesome show for you today on a completely new topic to the program, vending machines. What a perfect side hustle, right? It's like this automated, silent sales force that's out there selling your products when you're not around. It's a beautiful thing. So to help me learn a little bit more about the vending machine business, I invited Matt Miller on the show, who I met briefly at a podcast movement last month. Matt is a former Air Force pilot and a father of three and today he runs SchoolSpiritVending.com. It's a company that now has machines in 2,000 locations. They've sold 32 million stickers. And perhaps most importantly, they've helped raise $4 million for education over the last eight years. But before this was a passive income empire for Matt, it was a side hustle. In fact, he started with just one machine that he got for $36 on eBay and a bag of gumballs from Sam's Club. So stick around to hear how the vending business works, how you can get started very inexpensive expensively and how Matt has grown his little local operation uh, from Houston into this nationwide force. Notes, links, and a free PDF highlight reel with all of Matt's top tips are at sidehustlenation.com slash vending. Ready? Let's get Matt on the line. I really got started, believe it or not, out of sheer necessity. You know, I got out of the Air Force and I started working in the corporate world and I I thought all my troubles were going to go away. And then I realized that publicly traded companies have loyalties and make decisions oftentimes based around stockholders and other things. And the employees kind of suffer because of it. I was doing extremely well in my career, but some decisions were made that significantly impacted my family and our, and our finances. And so I needed to start doing some things on the side just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. I started out collecting aluminum cans. I sold used books online for a couple of years. My garage looked like a library there for a bit. Okay, okay. I was doing kind of whatever I had to do. And though those things were paying the bills, and I was really, really successful with the book thing, I had read Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I bought into his whole idea of passive income. So here I was doing a bunch of stuff on the side, but I wasn't doing the kind of stuff that Kiyosaki talked about. Of course, he does all of his or most of his stuff he talks about is is in the real estate area. My challenge was I didn't didn't even have enough money to be able to have my own house at that point in time, let alone have rental properties or whatever. So the simplest method that kind of played that real estate game in my mind was vending machines. And initially it was just a simple candy and gumball machine. Got it on eBay for 36 bucks used from a guy across Houston where we were living at the time. So I didn't even have to pay for shipping. And I loaded up my two oldest kids in my 98 Honda Accord one Saturday, drove across town to pick that machine up and got exposed to some additional knowledge from the guy that I got it from. And that was kind of the beginning. The following Monday, I went out, started knocking on doors in local businesses, trying to find a location for it. A couple of days later, there was a karate studio in the town where we were living okay. that, that said, yeah, bring it on in. 
So I set up my very first machine in a karate studio. And it was and it was this $36 eBay gumball machine. Yep, I'm one of those two-head machines. One side was candy, one side was gumballs. I got my product from Sam's Club. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but the typical service cycle for uh, a machine like that is typically, you know, four to six to eight weeks. That's one of the nice things about bulk vending is the fact that the capacity of the machines is large enough so you don't have to be back to them all the time to service and refill. Well, after two weeks, I was anxious. I had never used a, a machine like that myself. My kids didn't either. So I was like, okay, so is this thing really going to work? Are uh-huh. there people actually that are going to put quarters in this thing? And so I went back on a Thursday night, walked in. The place is packed with kids, you know, taking classes, put the, the key in the machine, open that thing up, and, dude, quarters spilled out all over the floor. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Like, Holy smokes. <laughs> maybe I've found my answer, right? So within a month and a half, I had made enough money to pay for that first machine, and I went back out. The guy that I'd gotten the machine from had a few others that he wanted to get rid of, and I got him to agree not to sell them on eBay, but to sell them to me. I went back, picked up another machine, went out and placed it. A couple weeks later, picked up another one. And I, I mean, literally, the slow and tedious process of cash flowing this thing is how it came together initially. I mean, talk about a side hustle. I, I was side hustling before I even realized that that was a term and didn't have any option other than to do that. Let's walk through a couple things. So you mentioned bulk vending. And so I assume the the opposite of that is non-bulk vending. So I'm picturing like, the, you know, the, you know, where you buy Skittles and Junior Mints and candy bars and like they showed out like one at a time. Like that would be non-bulk vending. That's what we call mainline vending. That's like the soda machines and the and the full candy machines and all that. Okay. A couple challenges with that type of vending, for me anyway. Number one was the cost of the machines. Number two was the fact that the machines are a lot more complex. And being that I wasn't an electrical engineer or whatever, I had no desire to get involved in electricity and circuit boards and all that stuff as time went on. And number three, the capacity of those machines is very limited. If you've got a good location, you've got to go back out a couple times a week just to keep the machine full. And I didn't want to create another full-time job for myself. I wanted to create something that over time was going to provide some lifestyle and give me some freedom. Gotcha. The bulk thing, even though it wasn't flashy, it wasn't glamorous. In fact, still to this day, I tell people I'm in vending, and that's what they think. They don't think, you know, today's stickers, back then candy and gumballs, that type of thing. To be honest, when I tell them what I do, they kind of look down their nose like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like they're sorry for me or something. But, you know, you just don't know what you don't know. And most people don't equate real money to a quarter, to be honest. Uh, we just got back from Japan uh, a few months ago. And it's like, that's the land of vending machines. Like, you can find a vending machine for everything. It's awesome. I found, like, this iced coffee vending machine, like, because we were up early for the jet lag. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. W- walk me through the cold calling sales process to find that karate studio. Was that, like, the first place you stopped? Or, like, how did that process work? I, I literally would go down a street and I'd hit every single location in a strip mall and just, you know, working the numbers, man. I mean, I probably talked to 20 locations to get that first one. And of course, the initial pitch was really shaky. And I made a lot of it up as I went. But over time, I kind of, you know, over time, you kind of learn things and, and you make adjustments. I'm just one of those guys that if 
we were to get a, a new grill for the back patio at our place, I'm the guy that would try to put it together three different times and figure out all the ways not to put it together correctly before my wife came in with the instructions and helped me figure it out. I've just found that I, I learn best by actually doing. So I'm not, haven't been afraid to go out and actually test things and try new things and, and kind of get my face beat in a little bit along the way. Yeah. Were, were you thinking like on the 19th? No, like this was a horrible idea. You know, to be honest, no, because I, I was in sales in, in the advertising space. Okay. And, and I realized it was a numbers game. Sure. And, you know, I always looked at it as silly as it may sound is every no was took me one step closer to a yes. And I saw machines all around my community. So I knew people were doing it. I know b- new businesses were embracing it. I knew people had to be putting money in those machines because they were everywhere. I just needed to figure a few things out that those guys already had. And once I did, you know, stand back because I then had complete control of the scalability of this thing and, and you know, the speed by which it came together. Okay. And what, what does that pitch sound like? Is it like a rev share with the business owner? In that case, with a simple candy and gumball machine, no. I was actually working with MD Anderson's Children's Cancer Hospital out of Houston at the time. It was a charity setup where the business would allow me to put a machine in in exchange for MD Anderson getting a cut of the revenue. Okay. So it okay. supported them. And then, of course, uh, it supported me and my family as well. Okay. And the businesses were okay with that or there's okay. So this is a, it'll make me look good because it's like a charity thing. Yeah. I mean, the machine, you know, took up less than a square foot of floor space. Now, if you're talking one of those setups where you've got a big rack in a location with some gumball machines and some toys and some stickers and and all that stuff, you're taking up a lot more space. There's a lot more revenue that typically goes through that machine. So in that case, a revenue share with the location makes a lot more sense. But for a simple candy or gumball machine, which I think if I remember reading the national census in the vending industry, the vending times magazine puts out every year, the average is like, you know, 12 and a half dollars or something a month that comes out of a machine like that. So, you know, to do a revenue share, you know, what are you going to do? Write the location, a a check for, you know, $2 and 50 cents. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You bring up a good point. $12 per machine per month or something. So this is completely a numbers game. Or did you find that? First of all, did you find that to be relatively accurate? Like what was the gumball machine bringing in? You know, I probably had averages that were a bit higher than that, maybe closer to 15 to $18. But then there were some locations that, you know, would do 30 or 40. Okay. So, you know, you put enough of them out there and the numbers are going to balance out. I learned real quickly that if I wanted to bring in more revenue for my time, I needed to get into stickers and temporary tattoos and toys and some of that. So I I pretty quickly taught myself that part of the business. You know, once again, started out getting some used equipment to to get myself in the game. And then once I learned who the reputable suppliers were and that type of thing, then I focused on buying similar equipment for all my locations moving forward. But, you know, to begin with, I had to piece this thing together however I could. In fact, I don't have that route anymore today, but when I sold it off about a year and a half ago, I had a key ring that probably had 50 or 75 different keys on it. (laughs) Yeah, how do you keep track of all this stuff? Well, I mean, after a while, you just kind of get used to it, but It was all the different keys for all the different types of equipment that I cobbled together in that first business. Yeah. Now, so you mentioned the sticker business. So that sticker business has better margins than candy because you can mark up paper quite a bit. Paper's very cheap. So that's kind of the direction that you started to go? Gumballs have the best margin. Stickers are in between gumballs and candy for sure. Okay. This is fascinating to me. Yeah, but to be honest, the main reason why I went the sticker route is twofold. Number one, to service a route of sticker machines, if you understand the size of a box of stickers, it's not a whole lot bigger than a shoebox. But because of that, you can service a lot of locations in a very small vehicle. I had a 98 Honda Accord that I built my first 100 schools with. I delivered the machines with that thing. And then I service the machines. You get into toys and some of those other things, and just a box of 250 vents of large capsules fills up the passenger seat in a car. Okay. Whereas, you know, I can put 10 boxes of stickers in the same area if I'm servicing. So, number one, it was the ability, once again, I didn't have a whole lot of money. It was the ability to run lean and mean and to be able to put this thing together with the tools and the resources that I had at the time. The second thing is that with stickers, once I figured out and learned how to get them printed, I realized that I could be very, very fleet of foot when it came to trends if I focused on stickers, whereas toys and all those other things, 
Most of the time they're being made in China. That process takes six months to a year, you know, from idea to those that product being available in a machine here in the U.S. With a sticker, I could come up with an idea within three weeks. We've got product available for our franchisees anywhere in the country, as long as we've got somebody to help us, you know, design the artwork for it. So we can be very, very quick to market much faster than anything else out there in the industry. Okay, interesting. So did you start out with, you know, these kind of custom designs that you're coming up with or with just kind of off the shelf uh, stickers that you found through some other marketplace? To start with, we were using off the shelf product, but we were custom designing spirit stickers for the schools with their mascots and all that from the very beginning. So initially, one of the selections in our machine was the spirit stickers specific for that school. And then the other ones were stuff that we got off the shelf. Over time, though, what we realized is there wasn't enough kid-friendly product in the marketplace to be able to provide a constant flow of new items for our machines. So at that point in time, we started designing and creating our own. And today, probably 85% or so of what we offer is product we literally designed from the ground up and make available. We have an extensive test program where we've got a select group of operators and schools that we test anything new that we're, or any new concepts we want to try, you know, at least a semester in advance to see what the kids want and let them vote with their dollars. Sure. And then of course we've got access to some of the licensed stuff too. NFL is a regular part of our machines. You know, we had minions and star Wars and, and Jurassic World that were part of our product mix last year. But there's a lot of things that we've kind of figured out and developed over the years. What's cool is they're evergreen products. They're not tied to a movie. They're not tied to any real trend in society. Therefore, they sell like gangbusters this year. If I keep it out of the machine for six months to a year, it's highly likely that it's going to sell really well again. It alleviates the risk for us on the production and manufacturing and logistics side. And it also alleviates much of the risk for our franchisees as well, because the majority of the product that we offer has either been tested because we've run it before and it's done well, or it's gone through our test program and has proven to be some of the cream of the crop as far as the products that we test. Did you find it was tough to get uh, a foot in the door with schools and and with Kind of the disjointed bureaucracy of of different school districts and stuff like that? The biggest challenge was in the paradigm shift for the school. Because most schools are used to doing event fundraisers. You know, they do the cookie dough sale or they do the catalog sale or that type of thing. So they do one or two events a year. They get all geared up for a couple weeks, do their thing. The kids go out and sell or whatever. And And then when the event's done, it's over. So we're a total paradigm shift because we're a year-round fundraiser that they don't have to do any work for. So initially, especially in a new area that that we go into, there has to be some education involved until we've got some schools that have our program and are willing to share their successes with others in the area because it is so markedly different than what they're used to. I've got people all the time that'll be like, Let's schedule a time when you can come in and present the program and and then we'll see what happens from there. And I'm like, well, listen, 
it literally takes less than a minute for me to explain it. And we just talk about it over the phone and then I'll get <laughs> you some other information because they're so, you, you, okay, going to be a huge process requiring lots of volunteers and, you know, and rally, rallying and getting all the kids up for doing their thing versus here's a simple one page agreement, fill it out, sign it. We do all the rest, which that's unheard of, you know, in the school fundraising space. Yeah. It's like, you don't have any upfront cost. It's like, you might as well. Like it, it seems like a no brainer or at least that's, I, I'm sure that's how you want to pitch it. So this is on a revenue share model with the schools. Obviously there, there's the fundraising element for the schools. Correct. Okay. What's the, is it just 50, 50? The schools get 25% of what we do because literally all they're doing is providing the location. Okay. So yeah, the school get the schools get that portion. We literally do all the work. All they do is provide the location and we do all the rest. Do they call you up like, "Hey, we're running low on, you know, this particular item" or like how do you how do you know when, you know, or is it just like a regular schedule every week I'm going to go stop by and, and refill this thing? We've got a regular service cycle that we follow. On occasion, you know, something will be doing extremely well and the school will let us know in advance. But normally we follow a pretty standard schedule. You know, every location or area, the schedule is, you know, varies a little bit based on the schools and, and kind of what they do. But, you know, the goal is for this to be, you know, a valuable fundraiser to the school, but then also to be, you know, something that can be put together on a limited time commitment for our franchisees. So because of that, you know, the goal is to create a business that's as passive in nature as possible so that people free up their time to do some other things over time should they decide to put it together to that level. So tell me about the franchising as a means for expansion. I think a lot of people in your position would say, now I can create the, the vending machine course. Like, let me, t- let me show you how to start your vending machine business. I'm going to put it on an online course, and we're going to go down that path. Um, instead, you say, hey, no, look, we have, a, we have a proven system. It works. We can actually franchise this. So I'm curious, like, okay, you know, what made you go down that path, and what was, like, your initial setup like for that? I wasn't in tune with all that kind of stuff online like things are today when I got this started. You know, I had listened to or, or read Pat Flynn's blog there for a while. Mm-hmm. Smart passive income in the early days. But to be honest, the whole internet thing was Greek to me. It's still Greek to me in a lot of ways, though we are slowly but surely embracing it where it makes sense for us to do that. You know, my goal was to develop a business that could serve schools for a long period of time. And I didn't want to be the guy that owned and controlled it all because I wanted to maintain some some semblance of lifestyle and have some control. So I was looking for, you know, a model that could number one, help others along the way reach some of the goals that they have for themselves and their family. And in the process, you know, we get some benefit too. I read Zig Ziglar's quote years ago, you know, you help enough other people get what they want and you'll be taken care of. So the whole concept behind what we do has been built on that. For the first seven and a half years, we were a licensing and distributor model, meaning we would license what we did to people and teach them the basics of what we do in different parts of the country. And what's the difference between the two? You know, it's more a legal thing than anything else. There's a lot more restrictions. There's a lot more guidelines. There's a lot more government involvement in a franchise. And the reason why we ended up making that transition was 
we had kind of stagnated in a certain part of the country because most of our business was word of mouth and referrals from family and friends, that type of thing. And we'd kind of gotten as far as we could get with that. And a couple of years ago, I hired a business coach and about 18 months ago, he and I had a conversation and he was like, you know, Matt, I'm excited about what you've done, but do you have any idea how much opportunity is still out there? If I were you, I'd get busy going after it because the only reason why you guys aren't working with those schools is they don't know about you yet. So at that point in time, I had to figure out, okay, so how are we going to start growing? How are we going to find other like-minded people? And doing some research, I realized that the best way to do that, I was going to require some money on the marketing side. And that a lot of the Northeast, especially, and the West, Western United States, you know, there's a lot more business bureaucracy in many of those states to where we really needed to be a franchise in order to be able to grow in some of those parts of the country. Since we've made that transition and since we've got about sharing what we do and promoting what we do, our team has grown 50% in the last six months. We're on track to grow over 100% this calendar year. Wow. And I mean, it's crazy how many people out there are doing well in their profession but aren't satisfied and are looking for something they can put together on a limited time commitment. Hey, that's the whole that's the whole premise of the show. Exactly, exactly. One of the toughest parts about starting and growing your business is figuring out how to build relationships. As you know, people are more likely to buy from and do business with people they know, like, and trust. But when it comes to networking, where do you start? And what if you're more introverted like me? What if you're more wallflower than social butterfly? Well, there's a recent episode of a great podcast called This is Small Business that walks you through how to figure this stuff out. The episode is called How Networking Can Help You Build and Grow Your Business. And inside, you'll learn practical tips on how to build business relationships that don't feel so transactional. A couple parts I liked in particular were how to break into those uh, tight little circles at networking events where you're kind of standing around awkwardly on the outside, and then what you should say in a follow-up email to somebody that you meet there. This is Small Business answers a ton of these questions that all entrepreneurs have, like how to use social media to grow your business, how to find your ideal price point, how to know when you're ready to launch your product, and tons more. So give it a follow. This is Small Business, an original podcast from Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. That means whether you're just starting out or your side hustle is already growing like crazy, Squarespace takes all things website-related and makes them easy. I want to highlight a few Squarespace features for you. One I knew about and a couple I didn't. First off, where Squarespace really shines is this huge library of professional website templates. That means you're not starting from scratch because they've got designs for every category and use case that you can customize to fit your unique needs so your business stands out online. That was the thing I knew about. Second one was new to me, and that's their online store functionality. Whether you're selling physical or digital products or a service, Squarespace has got the tools you need to start selling online. And third is their email campaigns. They make it easy to collect email subscribers from your site and drive engagement and sales through Squarespace email campaigns, and you can track the results of every send with built-in analytics. So head on over to squarespace.com 
squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash side hustle to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash side hustle. There's something like 60,000 elementary schools in the country, or, or that's like that's the remaining opportunity for you guys? Yeah, there's over 60,000 in the U.S. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. My only way to get in there is like, hey, some of these are in geography that I like. It doesn't make sense to, to go out there and, and set this up because it's kind of it's a passive business, but it does need somebody hands on to go and check on this thing every couple of weeks or, or whatever. Right. And with almost nine years experience, we shorten that path for somebody between point A and point B. You know, it took me years to figure out a lot of this stuff today. Our operators are getting started. And because of what we've learned along the way and the wisdom that we've garnered, they're growing much quicker than we ever did and not having to deal with a lot of the headaches that we did figuring this thing out in the early days. Okay. As the franchise set up, you're going to pay me for the franchise license. And then you, I'm also going to take a cut of your, you know, whatever sales you bring in. Yeah, there's a there's a royalty on a on a monthly basis and then an initial franchise fee. Okay. How much does it cost to get in? To give you an idea, an average franchise in the US today costs about 125 grand. Startup with SSV is anywhere between 17 and 23 currently. The reason why that there's there's a variance is because we give people an opportunity to either acquire one or two protected territories to begin with depending on kind of how big they see this thing and okay. and how desirous they are to make sure that the geography where they're wanting to kind of lay down stakes is protected for future growth. Yeah, as far as franchises go, that's very, very affordable in talking with Josh Brown from Indie Franchise Law a couple yeah. of weeks ago. What kind of break-even window are they seeing on that startup or on that investment? To be honest, I'm not allowed to get into those kind of details, believe it or not. Just because one of the stipulations that Uncle Sam has made because of franchisors that have gone before that have been less than ethical in their selling of their franchise and have pumped up numbers or whatever in, in hopes of enticing people to be a part. Okay. There, there's some limitations on what kind of quote unquote claims we can make. Sure. But that being said, the time window is nothing compared to just about anything else out there. People would be surprised, once again, how quickly those quarters can add up. You know, we've got about a third of our team that this is all they do today. It started out as a side hustle for them. They didn't leave what they were doing full time to make less money. <laughs> Let me put it to you that way. You know, at what point did you have enough machines in place? They're making 15, 40 bucks a month. At what point did you say, I'm going to go full time into this? This is a full time business for me. The sticker machines, the numbers that we talked about previously was candy and gumball machines. Yeah. The sticker machines are completely different, and the revenue is significantly higher than that. Okay. I had myself about 75 schools before I decided to walk away from my full-time career as an advertising executive, which I had been in for about 10 years. Okay. And it took me about three and a half, four years to get there. I, I was working my tail off. There was a period of time I was working full-time. I already had my traditional vending business. I started SSV, and because I needed seed capital, I even delivered pizzas at Pizza Hut for 18 months wow. in the middle of all that. Whatever it takes. So I was way out of balance for a period of time, but there was a purpose behind every last bit of that. There's that period of time where you put in that investment, and, and thankfully, it ended up working out. 75 machines 
seems like a lot, but it also, <laughs> I was afraid you're going to say like, oh, I had 500, you know, locations or something. I was like, oh gosh. So, so that seems a little bit more attainable. Matt, thank you for joining me. This is uh, schoolspiritvending.com. If people want to learn more about this business, uh, where should they go? Uh, they can do a couple things. They can either uh, they can either email me at matt at ssvbusiness.com or I, I wrote a short ebook for anybody that's interested called Live Your Dreams, The Top 10 Reasons Why You Need to Own a Vending Business. Okay. And it just kind of talks a little bit about some insider perspective after 12 plus years of being in the industry. Most professionals don't look at vending as a real business. They don't look at a quarter as real money. And so... I, I set aside some of those thought processes within the book, but they can go to ssvbusiness.com forward slash side hustle nation to download that and get an opportunity to learn a little bit more. And if they want to talk about vending or, you know, the franchise at that point would love to start a dialogue. Awesome, Matt. Thanks so much for joining me. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for side hustle nation. And Nick, the thing I would tell folks is get started today. Too many people get ready to 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 get started. I call it knowledge constipation. And in most cases, it's it's really fear that's preventing them from moving on. And they're utilizing that need to know more as kind of a crutch and something to, to hide behind. Well, here's the thing. The business that you're going to start is going to be markedly different six months from now than the way you think it is. And the only way that you're going to figure that out and be able to make that pivot to finally get to produce something that can allow you to do whatever you want to do in your life is you got to get in the game. You got to get off the bench and you got to get after it and be willing to learn as you go, be willing to fail a lot and just move forward after every failure that you, that you have. So true. So true. I'm going on eBay right now and looking for sticker machines. <laughs> Matt, thanks so much, man. We'll uh, catch up with you soon. Yeah, Nick. Thanks a lot, man. And God bless. All right, so here are my top takeaways from this call with Matt. Number one is the quarters add up. I remember I was sitting in my uh, my painting business uh, training, and the instructor, the area manager, was up at top, and he was in the we were in this hotel meeting room, and he's like, you know, showing us all of these different like tools and you know painting accessories and stuff that we're gonna need, and at the end. He, he says, you know what? I found this is all garbage. Like I found this stuff just lying around this hotel meeting space. This is, you don't need any of this. And the takeaway was mind, mind the nickels and dimes and the dollars will take care of themselves. And that quote is something that I've tried to live by without being <laughs> too over the top frugal, but mind the nickels and dimes and the quarter and the dollars will take care of themselves. So these little machines are like little assets that are little minions, like you mentioned, minions in the movie, but they're like little minions out in the world doing your business. And, and they turn into like these micro cash flows. And it's a whole, you know, multiple streams of income. I think the rich dad, poor dad, real estate analogy he gave at the very beginning was spot on. Like instead of going into debt to buy rental property, you're bootstrapping these little vending machines that can pay for themselves and ultimately earn semi-passive income. You got to go and refill them every now and again. Plus, when you have 75 machines out there, you're pretty well diversified. I thought that was kind of cool. Number two, action is the cure for knowledge conservation. I'd never heard that phrase before, but it's like, you know, any drug commercial you see on TV, like, oh, I totally, I'm totally suffering from that. Like, I have all those symptoms. Um, like, I want to have everything mapped out before I begin. And so, I just really like Matt's story about starting small, learning as he went, and, and figuring out how best to scale this thing. For me, takeaway number three was to help other people get what they want. Now, I think that was really central to Matt's success, even if he started 
out out of the necessity to earn more money for his family. Like in the case of the schools, he's pitching an innovative way to to raise money year round. Like that's exactly what they want. In the case of the franchisees, the same story. Like he wanted uh, a smart way to expand and grow the business uh, nationwide and help schools along the way. And he found an interesting way to do that that both earns money with the upfront franchise fee, but also helps people start a side hustle, like get into the vending machine business, which is what they want. If you, uh, if you've had like a local successful business, um, maybe franchising is, is a possibility for you to expand too, like to reach, uh, to reach new markets and help people get what they want and help you get what you want. So speaking of what people want, uh, if you want to grab the free PDF highlight reel from this conversation with Matt, head on over to SideHustleNation.com slash vending. Curious to hear what you think. Um, you can leave a comment over there at uh, SideHustleNation.com slash vending as well. Uh, you know, viable side hustle? Yes or no? Let me know what you think. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I, I definitely hung up this one being like, oh, I can totally do that. Uh, so I know that's the mark of a good episode. Well, thank you so much for tuning in as always. Always. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're going to learn by request all about drop shipping. That is, starting an e-commerce store without having to touch any of the inventory. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 